So today we are studying Vayichi. Vayichi is the last parsha of the book of Bereshis. Five books. Now we have one scroll. You know that we have one scroll. But there's five books. What does it mean? How do we get a book? The Torah is only one scroll. But there's a certain amount of spaces. There's like the spaces, there's like four lines in between each book. When you read in the Torah, you will see that there's four spaces in the Torah, four lines. Uh, those four lines are the uh, sign that it's a new book. That's the separation. That's what we got. We got four spaces, so therefore we get five books, because in between the first and second, between the second and third, third and fourth, and the fourth and fifth. So we have these four spaces, four line spaces. Anyway, so we're finishing up the book of Vayichi. And in the book of Vayichi, um, we actually read in the beginning of the Parsha, we read about burial. We read about a place where to, where to get buried. So first we read about uh, Yaakov asking his son Yosef, and this was after they settled over there and they were there for 17 years in, in Egypt. So Yaakov asks his son Yosef to take him after he passes on to take him to Israel to the cave of the Machpelah, Marat Machpelah and bury him over there together with his father Yitzchak, Isaac, together with his grandfather Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham Masara, Yitzchak and Yaakov, to bury him over there. And he also buried there Leah. He's asking Yaakov to, he's asking Yosef to take him over there. He doesn't just ask him, but he says, swear to me. He says, he shovelly, swear to me that you're going to take him. You see, there could be various different approaches in various situations. We know like for example there used to be a big Jewish community in the former Soviet Union there used to be big Jewish communities used to be. Until the revolution, till 1917, there was a lot of flourishing Judaism in, 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 in communist Russia. But then when the communists came in they outlawed everything. So, when the people were uh, not allowed to practice Judaism, the law was against them. So, a lot of the people just, you know, slowly but surely, it didn't happen overnight, but a lot of people, you know, just left the religion. And, you know, the next generation, the next generation, you know, is, uh, was totally, they didn't have educational, they didn't have shuls, they didn't have a lot of the things. So, now, in these communities, there were, like, Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders uh, were seeking guidance, like, from the Rebbe, you know, after that, you know, the asking if they could leave, because they really felt very alone. They didn't feel a lot of support in, in those communities. And 
So they asked the Rebbe if they can leave. And the Rebbe said that a leader is not allowed to leave their community as long as they have one, two, three Jews over there who need them, whether they're a shaykhet or a rabbi or a other, a moyel, whatever they can do for Jewish tradition, they're not allowed to leave. Why? A leader doesn't leave his flock and go away. So we know that a leader needs to be there together with his, with his people. And you can't leave just like that, you know? Um, one time, uh, an Israeli general asked the Rebbe why the Rebbe doesn't move to Israel. Why, doesn't he, why is he sitting in, in the United States? And the Rebbe explained to him that in order for the Rebbe's mission, together with his father-in-law, their mission was to spread out Yiddishkeit all over the world. The most effective and the most uh, best place for them to be able to be successful is actually where they are, the United States. So that's why they're here. And the Rebbe says, you know, I love Israel. The Rebbe sends people to Israel. And the Rebbe encouraged people to go, go to Israel. But yet, the Rebbe says the mission that he has is to make sure that people go to Israel to help the Jewish people. So the general said, he says, Rebbe, he says, I don't understand, he said. He says, look, I'm an, a general, I'm in war. So he says, in the war, the way we do it is the general, if he wants to encourage the other people to follow suit, to go with him, so the general in Hebrew, they say, Acharai. Acharai means follow me. So the general or the captain, leader will go first. And then he will say to everybody, Acharai, why don't you go after me? Why don't you follow me? So that would be the, the, uh, the callings of the... Of the uh, so he says to the Rebbe, you should also say, Acharai, you go first. And say to the Jewish people, Acharai, follow me. They should go and follow the Rebbe. And the Rebbe gave him an example. The Rebbe says, you know, you're right. When you're talking about in a war, you're right. But sometimes you have a captain on a boat. And when the captain is on the boat, and if the boat is sinking, the captain doesn't run out of the boat, and he says to, the, uh, to, the every, to all the passengers, Acharai. In other words, he saves himself first, and then he says, you know, you follow me. The captain first makes sure that everybody else reaches safety. He takes care of all of the people, and only after taking care of all of the people is when he would save himself also. So the Rebbe said, look, the jury in the United States and all over the world is like in a sinking boat. If I run away to Israel, or well, what's good for me, we do went to Israel, it may be very beneficial. I may love it to be in Israel. That's great. But who am I leaving the responsibility? Who's going to make sure that the boat doesn't sink, that we save as many people as we can from the sinking boat? That's my responsibility. So basically what the Rebbe said was that a leader doesn't leave the people behind. The leader 
The Rebbe never allowed for people to move from their communities if they asked the Rebbe. When the Rebbe didn't allow, the Rebbe never encouraged. The Rebbe says, as long as there's some Yidden over there, you must take care of your people. And here we see in a similar difference between Yaakov and Yosef. We know Yaakov was telling Yosef in the beginning of the parsha that we were just talking about, he was telling him that he wants to go be buried in Israel. But Yosef, on the other hand, he was buried in Egypt. And he said to them, at the end of the parsha we read, in the end of Vayichi we read, he said to the Jewish people, when I, when you guys will be, when God will remember you, when God will remember you, and he'll take you, then you'll take my bones with you. But for as long as you're there, I'm there with you. So we see a little bit of a difference between Yosef and Yaakov. Yaakov wanted to leave, not stay in Egypt. You know, he had reasons, they're going to make him into an idol, there's trouble with the worms eating the body, and he didn't want to roll into Eretz Yisrael. Various different explanations is brought down. But Yosef said no. Yosef said, I'm with my people. But he was also embalmed, and his yeah. body didn't deteriorate. That's another, that's another. But he was in a cast, he was placed in the water in the Nile River, and over there in the bottom. Well, technically, but that's another. Yaakov could have maybe had all these things done that's too. true. Mm. It says Yaakov was embalmed as well. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took a while for them to carry him and everything oh, else, you know, until till they to buried him. But uh, the thing is, sometimes they have an expression that says, you can't pull yourself out by the boots. Which means, or in he, in, in Lashon Kodesh, it's called, Ein matir surim. A person who is who is in prison cannot free himself. You need somebody else from the outside to take you out because you're inside. You know, like the person said, you know, he's he's stuck in a pit and he can't get out. He says, how are you going to get out? Oh, he says, I'll go home and get a ladder. But how are you going to get out? You know, I mean, you're going to go home and get the ladder, but if you can't get out of the pit, how are you going to go home to get the ladder? You know, so if you're in the pit, it's like saying sometimes when somebody is down, in the pit, you can be in a physical pit, but you can be in an emotional pit. You can be in a spiritual pit. You know, you can be in a place where you're down. And then you say, okay, you know, just get over it and get out of it. No, sometimes you just can't do it yourself. You need somebody else to talk to. You need somebody else to, uh, to tell you, to advise you, to support you, to give you a means. Sometimes it takes somebody else to pull you out. So, Yaakov... Of course, he's passing on. It's his spiritual, um, I guess, influence that he has even while he passed on. If he's buried in Egypt, maybe he can be of help. But he was worried that everybody's going to be so entrenched in the exile that they're not going to even want to go out. Somebody from the outside could take... He wanted to be on the outside so that he can sort of pull them out later on when the time comes. And the problem a lot of times is with situations that you're in that you you forget. You know, there's a story told about a once there was a Hasidic gathering 
in Yiddish they call it afabrengen. Afabrengen means in the Yiddish word, you know, you get together, you take a little uh, lechayim, you take a little uh, mizonos, a little cake or some other snack, and you sit together and you fabreng. Those days it was a little dangerous, so they were down in the basement in a cellar. Very, it was very dark. It wasn't lights and everything. It was very dark. I mean, it was just. And one of the Hasidim came in a little bit late, and the the rabbi was leading the fabrengen over there and uh, was speaking. And this new fellow comes in and he says, "Oi, this is Aze Finster," you know. He says. Oh, it's so dark over here. Yiddish is so finster. It's very dark over here. And the other one says, don't worry. He says, you'll get used to it. He says, you know, you'll get used to it. You know, your eyes get used to the darkness and it's not going to be so dark anymore. And then the rabbi's discussion for the rest of the night was, is the problem is when you get used to darkness. <laughs> and you start thinking, you know, when you get used to it, you know, a lot of times the situation where you are and, you know, maybe in the beginning, you know, you say, oh, I don't want to be there. I, you know, I have some other uh, better, higher, loftier goals for myself. But then you get sort of trodden down, you get pushed down, and you know, you know, and at the end, you know, like they have the story with the son of the king, who the king wanted to test him. So he sent him away in a faraway place. They give us an example for the chauffeur, what you blow. And the chauffeur, so sometimes the child went away so far for such a long time that he forgot even he was amongst wild people, he was amongst simple, ignorant people, and people behaved in a very primitive way. And he started mocking them, and eventually he even forgot that he is the son of the king. Indifferent. A Jew is the son of a king. You come down to this world, and you see like everybody else lives, and somehow you forget that you're special. You forget that you have other ideas, other goals, other other objectives in life, you know. And you say, hey, this is who I am. You start getting used to the darkness. And you no longer feel that you're darkness. So you're, you're good. So you're not looking for anyone. We've been so many years in, uh, in exile and in, in Golos. And we got used to it already. You know, we got used to our nice homes, our nice cars, our uh, lifestyle. And we say, you know what? We're comfortable. We became comfortable. We no longer have any desire to change it because we got used to the darkness. So the chauffeur is the example, is is the blow. Say, hey, 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 hey. Recognize that voice. You know, you're not just, <laughs> you're not just a somebody. You're a special. You come, you're a son of the king. You know, you have some special uh, heritage, some special lineage. You belong to a, a special people. Wake up! Don't fall asleep. Don't 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 be comfortable. You know, you're you are made. You have more important things. You're not like all others around you. You are having a shama. You are special. And go ahead, wake up. But you need somebody to blow the shofar to wake you up because. Within the exile itself, you got used to it. So you got used to it. You need somebody from the outside who is on a different level to come and remind you who you are. So, so Yaakov said, you know what? I don't want to be buried over there 
you know, like buried and forgotten. And then the Jewish people will be in the exile. I need to watch over them from Eretz Yisrael. Not for selfish reasons, but for reasons that to stay outside. That was his philosophy. But Yosef, on the other hand, he said no. He says, I am sticking it out with them. Whatever is with my, uh, whatever happens to my people, to all his brothers and all the tribes, I'm with them. I'm going to be buried here, and I'm not going anywhere. So there was a little bit of a, can elaborate, a little bit of different of approach and philosophy, the Rebbe points out, between Yaakov and Yosef. And that's why when Yosef says to, when Yaakov says to Yosef, please take me there, he didn't just tell him. He actually made him swear. Because Yaakov knew that Yosef had a little other ideas. That Yosef wants him close, <laughs> close by. He wants his father, he wants his burial, he wants his holiness, and he wants that he believes he should be there. This is a joke which is totally a little bit off color, not connected, but I'll tell it to you anyways, because, you know, it talks about a, uh, a certain chassid. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a guest over who kept on bragging, you know, everything. He kept on uh, talking all about himself. He didn't stop a whole, you know, he came to this chassid. Now, one of the things of, of that the chassidists teach us is humility, to be humble, not to... Not to be haughty and not to talk about yourself. Not to say that the Hasidim can't be haughty, but the Hasidim teaches you that, you know, like I always say, ego is exit God out. Bring God in is by through humility. You know, to uh, be humble. Humble, bring God in, and then you won't thinking of yourself as an independent entity. An idol is an independent entity. That's Avodah Zarah. You're yourself then. So, but this guy, he wasn't um, from the Hasidim, so this guy comes to visit to this Hasid, and the whole Shabbos, he keeps on talking all about himself. He keeps on talking about himself, what a tzaddik he is, and how much he knows how to study, and how much he learned, and how much mitzvahs he does, and how much davening he does, and how much charity he gives, all, all. And, and the guy, he couldn't take it anymore then. So he figured, you know, he has to teach him a lesson. It was just too much for him. So, he, so after Shabbos, he takes that fellow, and together with him, he puts him into a room he had over there, which is a closed room, and he says, I'm going to lock you in here, and actually, he says, we're going to actually kill you, he said. He says, kill me with your religious people. How could you do that? He says, look, you know, I'm getting older already. The guest says, I'm getting older. He says, you know, I do some mitzvahs. I don't do some mitzvahs, he says. But one of the special mitzvahs that I have is I like to visit the gravesite of tzaddikim. That's what I do. I like to visit the gravesite of the great tzaddikim, of the great sages. I like to visit but, you know, every time I have to travel to cities, to faraway places, to get to the tzaddik, he says, wow, Hashem sent me such a tzaddik <laughs> to my house, such a tamachacham, such a great man. So I figured, I'll bury you in my backyard. <laughs> so 
I don't have to travel anywhere. He says, I have you right, I have the tzaddik over here, right in the backyard. No, 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 you must be joking. How would he know? No, no, I'm not joking. He says, here, I'm giving you, you know, six hours, you can say your last confessions, your prayers to Hashem, it's going to be the end. He says, okay, so then, okay, he leaves him there. A few minutes later, he starts knocking at the door. He says, uh, you know, mister, I just remember, I said I was a big tzaddik, but, you know, one time, I did a little bit of a small thing that I forgot, and I'm not such a tzaddik. Oh, no, 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 you're a good enough tzaddik for me. <laughs> but slowly, he got him to tell him, oh, he says, you're such a bum, get out of my house. <laughs> No, sometimes, you know, I just say, sometimes you want, Yosef may have wanted the tzaddik to be next to him. He didn't want to take the tzaddik, you know, out, move him away from there. So he had to ask him that he should swear to him, you know, swear to me that you're going to take me. And he swears to him. But then there's a very interesting conversation that takes place between Yaakov and Yosef. After he says to him in the verse, and then when we read you in the Rashi, he says to him like this. That finishes the subject matter over there. Then he goes on, he, he gets sick, Ephraim and Menashe come to visit. And then all of a sudden he changes the conversation. He speaks to Yosef again. Yaakov once again speaks to Yosef. I just want to interrupt for a section. I just wanted to say this, you know, uh, the banot came in a little bit late. But it was it was very, uh, I wanted to dedicate the class today for the, uh, for the uh, young soldiers that were so tragically murdered uh, this uh, couple of days ago in Jerusalem. It was so such a sad and such savages. And it's just, you know, you take such a, a young blooming tree, a young age, the age of 20, you know, just being cut down like that. And, you know, four were killed, and some of them that are alive would rather be dead, you know, for the rest of their lives. They'll, you know, be suffering, and, and all in a moment, just by this. And it's, um, and then sometimes you wonder and you say, you know, why Hashem? Why does Hashem allow for these things to happen? And uh, maybe we should give first thing is our response has to be more mitzvahs, more tzedakah, but I think from also a very uh, practical point of view, Hashem has had pity on us. If you think for a second, I say, Baruch Hashem, we're in a situation that Hashem has put us in a situation that we can fight back. Yes, some of our people, unfortunately, get murdered, get maimed, and but yet we still have a very strong defense. We have a strong, you know, the Holocaust was, wasn't that, that long ago. Then six million of us were just taken like sheep to be slaughtered, to be tortured, to for all kinds of things. And now Baruch Hashem, Hashem has given us some ability to protect and to help ourselves with with Hashem's help. So it's... I just wanted to... Uh, just
just to uh, mention this, that, you know, what we could do is we can't bring them back to life. We First of all, we extend our best wishes for them to have a complete and speedy recovery, but we could increase in our learning and Torah and good deeds. And, you know, not to... Um, not to forget that there are people out there that are every day and day giving up their lives for the protection of the Jewish people. And for us to appreciate it, not to take that for granted. But anyways, back to our, um, our subject over here that we're discussing. So here there's a conversation that it's taking place that after Yaakov fell ill and Yosef is coming and is bringing him his two sons and he is making them, he's saying they're going to be like his children, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then, he's, there's a verse here that says, it says, So without going into all the specific details, Rashi says that there was a conversation that Yaakov is saying to Yosef. He says to Yosef, Yosef, I realize that you must be upset with me must be upset, or to use the exact language of Rashi, that there is in your heart, you have in your heart against me. What is your heart? Because as you know, Rachel was Yosef and Benjamin's mother. Now Rachel was not buried on the route when they were returning, when Yaakov was returning from his journey with Lovan and his meeting with Esau on his way back home, Rachel dies. She gave birth to Binyamin, and then she dies over there at the time of the birth. Now what did Yaakov do? Yaakov went and he buried her right on the road, with Derech Ephros. He based Lachem, he buried her, that's what we have today, Kever Rachel. That's the Lachem. In Beis Lachem, outside of Beis Lachem. So he says to Yaakov, he says to Yosef, I know you must be upset with me. Um, not only did I not take your mother to Kever Rachel, to Maris Machpelah, and she would be the first one, that would be before Leah. So not only did I not take her to Maris Machpelah, I didn't even take her into the base Lechem. I just buried her right in the road over there, in the middle of the road. It must be in your heart. You have in your heart against me. But I want you to know, he says to Yosef, I didn't do it on my own. This was Hashem's instruction to me to bury her there. And I want you to know, he says, why Hashem wanted me to bury her there. Because, he quotes from the Pasuk, Koil Beramon Nishma, that there is a voice being heard up high. Nihiyu Bechi Samrurim, a very bitter cry and, 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 and sighing and pain, a painful cry. Nihiyu Bechi Samrurim. Rachel Mevakal Baneha, Rachel is crying for her children. At the time when the Nuzvuzardan, the evil Nuzvuzardan, was taking the Jewish people into exile, he took them out and he passed through the Kever Rachel. So Kever Rachel, Rachel came up from her grave and she was crying bitterly to Hashem. 
And Hashem says to her, Koyomar Hashem, Mini kolech mi bechi ve'inayich min Stop crying, your eyes from tearing. Ki yesh sachar lipul ha'seich v'shavu banim l'gvulam. There is reward for your action. And your children will return back to their territory. They'll be go back to Eretz Yisrael. She was the one that influenced the turnaround that Hashem should bring them back to Israel. That's why she's buried over there. So she can cry for her children. So she can plead with Hashem. And so that she would later on be able to accomplish that. You know, a Jew is determined by the mother. If the mother is Jewish, even if the father is a non-Jew, that child will be Jewish. But, if it's the other way around, if the father is Jewish and the mother is not Jewish, then the child would not be Jewish. But on the other hand, who determines whether the child is a Kohen or a Levi or a Yisrael that goes by the father? Mm-hmm. That goes by the father. And this is almost demonstrated by the difference between Rachel and Yaakov, as far as the places where they were buried. And what we say, Yesh Sachar Lipula Seich, there is reward for your action. What did what did Rachel do? Rachel was crying to Hashem, but what did she do? Pula Seich means something that she did. What did Rachel do? Oh, she gave the signs to her sister? There's no mention of that over here. What does it have to do over here? Some portions say that. That's correct. Yeah. But here Hashem is connecting you to this. What did you do over here? Yes, that's true. The Medrash says that. It brings that down too. But what did you do over here? Yes, Sachar Lipula Seich. It seems like over here she did something. That when they when they when they didn't leave the gullus, she's they're gonna pass by her. And she'll be machazik then. Yeah, so that's more like a speech or more like a support, but it's not a pu'ula. What's the pu'ula? What's the act that she did? And, and the Rebbe asks, why did Yaakov not explain to Yosef all these years why he didn't bury his mother? Why didn't he explain to him 17 years he was with him in Egypt. He should have said to him, it must have come up. If Yosef has a complaint against his father that his father didn't do something right for his mother, why does he, uh, why does he bring it up now? Why didn't he answer it before? And we have to say, probably Yosef understood that if his father didn't bury it, probably he knew that he loved Rachel. He loved her more than any of the other wives. And everything was for her. So he knew that if he only had the ability, so logic says, logic dictates that if he could have, he would have. 
So apparently he could have. So he did. He did. So why all of a sudden now? So does he? Does Yaakov suspect Yosef to take revenge? I'm asking you now to go bury me. Take me into Mars Machpela. Oh, so it opens up like an old wound over here. Now it opens up an old wound. Why didn't you take my mother there? When you're asking me to take you there, how come, where were you when my mother died? How come you didn't take my mother there? It can't be just so simple as that, because Yosef knew that his mother couldn't do it. But you know, a lot of times... We spoke about it in a previous class. A lot of times, we have a good reason for what we did. We have a very good reason for what we did. But still, there is pain still over there. The, it doesn't mean I have a complaint to you. It doesn't mean that I have an argument against you, that you did something wrong. No, you did because this is what you had to do. But my heart is still aching. There is still yesh belibcha olav. He says now that it comes to a time when they see how important it is for you to be buried, you're making me take you. Even as we spoke before, my own philosophy is that maybe you need to stay in Egypt, but you're saying no. I need to be in Eretz Yisrael. I need to be in the Maris Machpelah. I need to plead in the place of holiness. I need to be together with the other forefathers. This is the kedusha. This is holiness. That's where I need to be, you're saying. And you're asking me to do that. So my heart is aching, he says. Yes, believe me, my heart is aching. Why did my mother not get the same kind? How come? Not that I have an argument, but my heart is aching. Believe me, you know, you have your heart is aching. She didn't, she wasn't privileged. She did not get the same zuchus that you're getting. You're getting a zuchus to be buried over there, but my father, my mother does not have that zuchus. So there's a heartache over there. So how does Yaakov calm Yosef down? How, what does he tell him to soothe his pain? He says, herein lies the greatness of Rachel. And this is her act. What does it mean, her act? When she is buried away from the Baris HaMachpelah, this is actually what Rachel wants. Rachel wants to be there for her children. Rachel wants to give up. That's the profound difference between Rachel and Yaakov. While Yaakov wants to be, and needs to be perhaps, as a guy, as a man, needs to be in the level of spirituality. That's where he needs to be. He needs to be in that place. That's why men are obligated in a lot more mitzvahs and more Torah and more things, because the place where men have to be is in the revealed level of godliness, where it's open. You openly learn and you openly do mitzvahs and you openly uh, pray and you openly do all these good things. But the woman, she's not obligated. She has other obligations, like taking care of the house, making sure there's a household over there. Well, in America, it's two family incomes, but we don't have a problem. We have a problem with that. But in most cases, it's like that. But the idea over here is, it's not like the woman is losing out. Rachel is missing out. I'm not buried in the, in the Morris and Machpelah. But it's 
almost as this is the act of Rachel, even though Yaakov is doing, he's burying her there. Rachel, this is what Rachel wants, to be buried over there. That's the place where she wants to be. Why? Because she knows that many thousands of years later, her children who were sinners and they were exiled from the Holy Land, they will pass over there. And she is going to beseech Hashem on their behalf. So she's not really losing out because she's not in the Mora Samach Just the opposite. She actually, she says, this is what I want. This is my goal in life. Because her connection is not a revealed connection to be in the Mora Samach in the place of holiness and doing the mitzvahs. It's an inherent, it's a deep, and it's a inner, it's a DNA connection to Hashem. Not expressive. When you have an expressive connection to Hashem, sometimes you get mixed in your own greatness. You recognize yourself. You think you're so big. You think you're better. You think you're so smart. You think that you're, uh, uh, you know, with Habik Tamachachem, as the story we said before, you, you, you give yourself more credit usually than you even deserve. But you start believing in yourself. And it's more about you than about God, than about Hashem. That is when you connect only to the external. But when you have a self-effacing connection to Hashem, I don't have to be in the Morris Machpela. I don't have to be in doing all the mitzvahs. I'm doing what my task is, being that Keres Habayis, raising the home, raising my family making it into a real Jewish home. That's the goal. That makes them happy. That's Pu'ulosech. That's something which they want. That's the distinction between Rachel and Yaakov. And that is why when we talk about who is a Jew, we're not talking about your Kohen, a Levi. That's an expression. What you're going to do, you're going to duchen, you're not going to duchen, you're going to be a Levite, you're going to do this job. But your essence, who are you? That comes from the mother. Because the mother's essence is Jewish, then which is not an expressive Jewishness. It's just an inherent essence of her Jewishness. That gives over to the next generation. The expressive part of what do you do with your life? Am I a Kohen or a lady? That's up to the Father already. That's an expressive life. Therefore, this is the Pu'ula. This is the actually the Pu'ula that, yeah, that Rachel did. And, and this is also, I mean, I guess a, a lesson for us uh, in our lives, you know, the Rebbe especially talked about a lot. I think the Rebbe gave this talk shortly after the Rebbe and his wife passed away. And the Rebbe, uh, I believe, I, I may I stand corrected if I'm wrong, but I believe that, 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 that this talk the Rebbe gave uh, that shortly after that. And the Rebbe quoted from the Pasik over there, it says by Rachel in this verse, Yaakov used the phrase, Mesa Olai Rochel. That somehow Rochel died on me for me. And he says that 
it's only for really for the husband. It was Rachel who was the Akeres Habayis. She was the mainstay of the house. Because it, this was the mainstay, meaning that special quality that Rachel came out and we saw demonstrated by her sort of giving up her own self for the benefit of her children, of her descendants, for other people, to say, you know what? I'm going to give up. This is, was what Yaakov said, this is the Akaris Abayis. She is the mainstay of the house. And that's how come, the Rebbe says, that's how come it connects, and he says that by, because like I said, the story interrupts over here, between uh, first telling him to bury him, and then he talks about Ephraim and Menashe, because the reason why Ephraim and Menashe are also part of the Shvotim, it's all because of that special quality of Rachel. It's all of the special quality of the um, of the Jewish woman. Their mother was Potiphar's daughter, though. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his wife, Yosef's wife. Yeah, so that so was she the was mother of Menashe and Ephraim. Yeah, okay, but that's a different, you know, that doesn't come into play right now, but uh, that, that's different. It's other questions, right? Now, the only, you know, the, so the thing is like this, so this is really, um, you know, also goes to the core of the question, you know, a lot of people look, there are certain values that people have. You know, how do we know standards? Because we look around ourselves, you know, whatever. How do we get, how do we know what's right and what's wrong? We built it, you know, a lot of things, you know, we read it on the internet, we read it in the newspaper, we see our neighbors, you know, how we grew up, we look in things. This builds up by us, you know, what's right and wrong. And a lot of people will say to you, oh, you know, in the orthodox way of living, the woman is the second fiddle. You know, she doesn't take up the role as does the man, whether it is with the minion, whether it was the Torah reading or it's the, you know, and they don't feel that that's right because based on the standard, on the concept, the way people understand today, the way it's supposed to be the world, they object to it. They find this uh, not fitting with their standard that they believe into. But here, we're reading about Rachel and Yaakov, because everybody, uh, Rachel and Yaakov, which everybody has their mission in life. It turns out that the woman's connection to Hashem doesn't have to come through mitzvot as the, I mean, the mitzvot that they're not obligated. It doesn't need so many mitzvot to connect it because they're inherently connected. So they don't need that expressive kind of connection all the time. It doesn't take away from their connection to Hashem. It doesn't take away from how we view them or their views less important. The contrary, they're more important. And they're much more powerful, and that's why he goes with them. They're, they're, it's, 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 it's a deeper respect for them. They don't need to do all these things. And also, the readiness to sacrifice, they're ready to do more than the men are ready to do for Yiddishkeit and for Hashem, even to give up their place of burial in the Maris HaMachpelah for the sake of their children, even to give up some of the davening, Maybe the men wouldn't give it up, so they would give up their kids, not their davening. But the mother will give up the davening in order for, for, for her children. And 
we know, at least I know, but I think we all know, and the Rebbe knew that also. Uh, and you see the Rebbe's approach and the way the Rebbe treated the women and the way the Rebbe believed in the women, the way the Rebbe believed that the women need to lead was exceptionally trusting. And we know that if it's not for the Jewish women, we know it about the Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, but we know it today too. If it's not for the Jewish women, if not for the Jewish wives and the Jewish women, the men would not be would not be where they are. It's only the uh, the the benefit from the from the from the Jewish women. That's 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 what it is, and that's the um, the simple truth. So, I figured the class is for women. There's only women here, so you're not going to have any objection to this sicha from the Rebbe to this talk. I figured that it's uh, fitting, but. Like everything else, all uh, all privileges come with responsibility. So now we know that what we do, so it comes with uh, with the uh, uh, you know. So hopefully, we each one does their mission, and Hashem grants us success that we should be successful in what we do. Yeah.